pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. interpretation of tongues, the last three gifts of the Spirit. Uh, just some uh, quick review. Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. In verse 1, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I know we went through it, and I've showed you why we feel that the gifts are not only necessary for the modern-day church, but they're mandatory. And, you know, people say, well, the gifts have been done away with the, with the last apostle, and they were just to get the early church started, and we didn't need them after that. And, and yet Paul wrote over, a, there's over a hundred scriptures regarding spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul talked about them almost more than any other subject that he talked about. And so why would he do that if we didn't need to know about these gifts? Why would he say concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant or unlearned? Why do I have to learn about spiritual gifts if they're not for today? And so I think we proved that they are for today. They're not only uh, available, but they're mandatory for a New Testament church like us. So uh, uh, we feel like uh, we place a certain amount of emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit in our expression of worship. And we believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended to establish us, to reinforce us, to make us stronger, to help us grow so that we can bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. And we can grow the kingdom of God because these gifts are designed to enhance and uh, profit and benefit the church of the living God. And then in verse 2, he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. He's talking to those that came into the Corinthian church. Corinth was a, uh, a place of high uh, idol worship. And most of these people come from a background of uh, sex slavery and uh, prostitution and things like that. They even had temples with uh, temple prostitutes. And uh, they called it even worship. You know, it was a, a type of worship for them. And here, these are the type of people that are coming into that poor pastor's church at Corinth, that fledgling, growing church, and all these type of people are coming in, and he has to pastor them. So they got a lot to learn. And so here, Paul is kind of rebuking them and reminding them of where they came from. And he said in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So they were actually doing that. They were calling Jesus a curse and uh, the persecutors of, of the new Christians uh, coming into the church were tell, trying to get them to call Jesus a curse. And uh, so Paul rebuked them for that. And then it says in verse four, there's diversities of gifts, different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of ministries, different ways of ministering the gifts but the same Lord. And Paul's trying to make a point here that although there's different kind of gifts and different types of ministry, 
it's all done by one Lord, one spirit. And he says there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Same spirit, same Lord, same God, but different spirits, uh, different gifts of the spirit, the spirit. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit or benefit of all, for the one is given. So he's, he's talking about the gifts being manifested in our life, and they're for our benefit, for our profit. And every time the Holy Ghost manifests himself in a church uh, service, we profit from it. Somebody gets healed, somebody gets a word, somebody gets a miracle. Uh, it's for our profit and our benefit. And then he says, for to one is given... The word of wisdom, not wisdom, the word of wisdom through the spirit to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith or special faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings, plural, by the same spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Paul emphasized that it's the same Spirit. The Holy Ghost is in charge of these gifts. And he uh, distributes them to each one. Any one of us in here can be distributed a gift uh, to be manifested through us as he wills. So every one of us can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Therefore, every believer, every one of us has a spiritual gift that's imparted to us, and we're equipped with them because they were given to the church. You just have to be willing. Amen? You have to desire spiritual gifts to operate through you because the Holy Ghost is a gentleman, and he will not force himself on you, and he will not make you do something. You know, I've seen so-called manifestations of the gift where it seems like a person is taken over by the Spirit of God and he goes into this trance-like state and he begins to prophesy or speak in tongues and, and speak King James language and all of this. I don't believe that's the Holy Spirit doing it. I think there's a bunch of flesh involved in that. Because if the Holy Spirit does it, it will be decent and in order and something always manifests from that. The Holy Ghost never uh, manifests the gift of the Spirit without there being some type of evidence that it was manifested. Somebody gets a word, somebody gets uh, healing, somebody gets uh, receives a miracle. Uh, it's always something that happens, but we have to desire them and we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to use us in this ministry, or he won't. And then it takes faith and confidence to step out. A lot of people are, I don't know, bashful or shy or they're standoffish when it comes to spiritual things. And even though the Spirit is trying to use them and is prompting them, they won't step out because they don't have the confidence or enough faith to step out and give a tongue or give a prophecy or uh, lay hands on somebody that's sick and in need of healing. And so. Uh, we have to have the confidence not only to and the faith to not only step out, but to obey what the Spirit is telling us to do. And, and sometimes uh, it's just like uh, with tongues, it might just be one word that it gives you. 
But if you speak that word, he'll give you the rest. And a lot of times we're like, that just don't make sense to me. Not until you step out in faith and give the word, then it begins to make sense. And then he gives you more. But it's important that we understand that God is a God of order. And that's the way the gifts will be manifested through the Holy Spirit. Decently and in order. I was listening to uh, Robin Bullock the other day. He's preaching and he's anointed and the word is flowing and somebody stands up in the middle of that and gives a tongue. And so him being the polite and courteous gentleman that he is, he interpreted it. And then a little while later, somebody did it again. And so that's not decent and that's not in order. There's a time and place for it. And when, a, when he's ministering and he's in the flow and the anointing is on him, you don't interrupt his message or the service with tongues. Well, after about the third one, he refused to interpret it. And uh, uh, the rule in tongues and interpretation is if somebody speaks in tongue and there's no interpretation, then everybody stays silent. No more tongues in that service. Well, that's what happened with the second one, or after the second one, the third one. And so he didn't interpret it. And then a little while later, a fourth one got up and spoke in tongues. This is during his preaching, while he's preaching. That's out of order. That was not done decently and in order. So uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of discernment to tell that that was wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And so... Uh, that's why it's as the Holy Spirit wills. He's trying to maintain decency and order in the church service itself. And Paul spends a lot of time in uh, 1 Corinthians teaching on how to use tongues and how to interpret and when to use prophecy and things like that. Uh, because they were just, uh, even though they come from these backgrounds and were still probably dabbling in some of those old sins and stuff, they were used mightily. Paul said that the Corinthian church come behind him no gift. In other words, they all had a tongue. They all had an interpretation. They all had a prophecy. And, and their gifts were flying all the time in, in the Corinthian church. And that's why Paul started to teach and say, this is the way it must be done in order. <clears throat> so again, it says he wills. And we have to remember the a person doesn't possess a gift. Just because God used you in a gift doesn't mean you possess it and you can use it anytime you want. That's why he keeps specifying as he wills, as the Spirit wills. And I shared this with you that one of the things I learned through this study in, uh, is the Spirit is always willing. And the reason I come to that conclusion is because uh, anytime a gift is manifested, the church benefits from it or the church profits from it or the church is edified or built up from it. And so the Holy Spirit is always willing to do something that will benefit the church. He's always willing to build the church up and edify the church or exhort the church. And so he is always willing, but you just have to be the one that he uses, that you he, you allow him to use you. Uh, a few weeks ago now, I guess it is, that we looked at the first three gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the gift of faith or special faith and we learned that the word of wisdom uh, that word used word of wisdom comes from the Greek word logos and, and it 
it means that it's a uh, fragmentary piece of information. It is not the whole revelation. It is not the whole, what we would call rhema. You have the logos of the word, which is the written word, and then you have the rhema of the word, which is a revelation of it. You get the full story. Well, this is just a fragment of uh, wisdom, just a fragment of what you need to know at that particular time to solve a problem or a situation that you just don't have answers for in the natural. And then it's the same thing with the word of knowledge. It's the same word logos used, so it's fragmentary. It gives you a piece of the information that you need to take, take a, uh, to uh, settle a situation or a circumstance. And it's, it's something that comes to you supernaturally. You don't have no way of knowing it. And uh, the example we used was Jesus at the well. You know, he, he told the, the woman at the well, go get your husband. And she says, I, I have no husband. He said, that is, you said that truly because you had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And so that opened her heart because now she knew he was a prophet and she knew that she just heard from God. And it wasn't a rebuke or anything like that. It was a convicting type of uh, a word that he got. But he had no way of knowing that. It was a word of knowledge. And again, he, it didn't give him her whole life history it just gave him a fragmentary piece of it, but it was enough to open her heart to the goodness of God. So then there was the gift of faith, and it's the supernatural ability to believe God without human doubt, belief, and reasonings. You know, it's like I said before, we try to reason things out, and God doesn't work like that. God doesn't work logically. You try to figure out God logically, or you try to reason in your head why something is happening or how to do it and, and it's never God because God doesn't work like that uh, and this is a special kind of faith because it's not like the type of faith we use every day to overcome the different challenges that we have in life uh, it comes supernaturally from the Holy Ghost as a gift it's like you just you know all of a sudden you're just empowered with the faith to believe God for anything at that particular time and then you get whatever your miracle is, and then that type of faith leaves. It doesn't stay with you. Then you go back to the kind of faith that you were given, uh, the measure of faith that you were given, and you begin starting, you begin fighting the good fight of faith again like you always have. Gifts of healings, plural again, because there's different manners of sicknesses and uh, ways of being healed. Uh, but this is a, it has to do with curing. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, it would be the gifts of curing or being cured, which means there's a process of time. You go to the doctor, he uh, diagnoses you, and he prescribes something to you, and you go home and start taking that medicine, and over a period of time, you're cured. And... Uh, very seldom you go to the doctor, and unless it's a chiropractor, he makes an adjustment and you leave there feeling better. But uh, very seldom do you go to the doctor and you leave there cured or healed. You leave there with a solution, but it's going to take a process of time. That's what the gifts of healings is like. Uh, unlike a miracle, it could be a miracle where all of a sudden you're instantaneously healed. All the symptoms leave, the cause of it leaves, and you know something has changed in your body. That's not the gift of healing. That is a miracle. 
And a miracle is the supernatural power to intervene in the ordinary course of nature and counteract natural laws if necessary. We've got all kinds of miracles in the Bible. Uh, when it comes to healing, for example, uh, if you had a problem with your heart and they recommended medicine and they brought about healing over a period of time, that's the gift of healing. The gifts of healing is in operation. But if God gave you a brand new heart, that would be a miracle. You would be healed, yes, but that would be by a miracle because that's a creative thing. And uh, miracles are creative where healing is like a curing that takes place over time. Then the gift of prophecy. We talked about that in detail. Uh, no, no sense in going into that too much, but the gift of prophecy always involves edification, exhortation, or comfort. When somebody is operating with the gift of prophecy, they are edifying, or another word for that is building up. They are exhorting, they're encouraging you, or they're comforting you. Uh, they're uh, bringing comfort to your situation. And it could be with a handshake, a hug, uh, a word that hang in there, you're gonna make it type of thing. That's the gift of prophecy in operation. It's not like the office of the prophet. The office of the prophet is more authoritative and it, uh, in some cases it can foretell the future. And, uh, but even in the uh, office of the prophet, usually he will confirm something that God has already told you. Uh, a prophet doesn't give you direction for your life. He doesn't tell you to go to Africa. God will tell you to go to Africa and the prophet will, will confirm it or verify it by giving you a word that would uh, click in your spirit that you know God is confirming that you are to go to Africa and you'll know in your spirit, but he'll never tell you go to Africa and you never even knew anything about it. So there's a difference. The New Testament prophecy, like I said, is edification, exhortation, and comfort. So Ephesians 4 tells us that when Christ ascended into heaven, he gave gifts unto men. Uh, and he actually gave these gifts to the church, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Uh, and these uh, right here, he's talking about ministry offices. So he said prophets, but that is not the gift of prophecy. This is the office of a prophet. And there's a difference. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 31 for you may all prophesy one by one he's not talking about the office of a prophet he's talking about you edifying exhorting and comforting somebody he says you may all prophesy one by one and all may learn and all may be comforted when you get up in a church service and you prophesy it's for the whole church it edifies the whole church. It exhorts or encourages the whole church. It brings comfort to the whole church. He says that all may learn and all may be comforted. So God wants us all to be an instrument that he can use to edify, exhort, and comfort. Every one of us should operate in the gift of prophecy. Finally, now we'll get to some new material here. Uh, we're going to look at the discerning of spirits 
This doesn't say discernment. It says the discerning of spirits. And in the actual Greek, it says the judging of spirits. And this is also a supernatural revelation or insight into the realm of spirits to, direct, to detect their presence and their activities. It directs you to their present and what they're trying to accomplish. And in most cases, it even identifies the type of spirit that it is. And it's, a, it's simply a gift that will make you aware of the presence of demonic spirits. I guess you could, you could feel angelic spirits too, or ministering spirits as well. It's the, discern, it's the uh, discerning of all spirits. It gives you a glimpse into the spiritual realm. And uh, this gift helps you to discern what spirits are operating in an individual or a set of circumstances, and it gives you the ability to see what's really motivating that person or the set of circumstances that they're operating in. You know, a lot of times we say, well, you know, that just wasn't like him or her. They never acted like that before. I have never heard them say things like that or be mean like that. You know, well, what, uh, the gift of the discerning of spirits would give you a glimpse into the spiritual realm and show you the spirit that was behind that meanness or behind that ugliness. And it would even show you sometimes the motivation of that. Now, we can't get into how they got that spirit operating in them and they're not possessed by it. It's just operating through them. Just like God and the Holy Ghost can operate through you uh, if you allow him to, so can evil spirits if you allow them to. And so this just shows you the spirit that's operating and the motivation behind it that's causing that person to act the way they are or uh, the, uh, the circumstances or situation. In Acts 16, verse 16 through 19, this is about the best example I can think of. It's Paul, and he was on his way to prayer, and uh, it wasn't only prayer, but he had this girl following him for several days. And it says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So he didn't know it at first, or if he did, he didn't say anything about it because it went on for several days. But a spirit of divination is a, uh, uh, a spirit that tells the future or pretends to tell the future. It's a uh, fortune teller type spirit. And uh, it says that uh, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her, her masters much profit by fortune telling. So in other words, they would sell her services. You know, you would make an appointment with her and you sit down with her with the crystal ball or the tarot cards or whatever they use nowadays. And they would tell you your fortune or tell you something about your future. But they can't do that. It's trickery. They know something about you, and it's always in generalities. God is the only one that can reveal the future. And, and not only that, but God can use his prophets to reveal the future or foretell future events. But they will be accurate. And uh, here, there, it's all trickery. But anyway, 
uh, she was bringing much profit to her masters. Now, this is a real spirit. It's, you know, it's a real spirit that's operating through her. But in verse 17, it says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, an evil spirit can tell the truth. A lot of people say they can't. They, they say the devil can't tell the truth. Yes, he can tell the truth. He'll mix a lie with the truth because that's the only way he can get you to swallow it or believe it. But they can tell the truth because everything she said was true. I mean, uh, that's exactly what Paul and them were doing. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way to heaven. They were preaching the gospel. That's the way to heaven. And then in verse 18, it says, And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, why did he tolerate this for many days? Maybe because she was telling the truth. She was annoying, yes. But he really couldn't say anything against her because everything she was saying was true. And then finally, he discerns that there is a spirit behind it, a spirit of divination. And this is what's causing her to do the things that she's doing and say the things that she's saying. He realizes this is the motivation behind it. And even though she's speaking the truth, she doesn't mean it, that it's an evil spirit speaking. And when he realized that, when he discerned that spirit, he cast it out. And he came out that very hour. Now, I don't know how long it took, three minutes or 59 minutes, but within that hour, that spirit come out. And it doesn't say that he rebuked her again and cast it out again. It just said he, he, he cast it out one time. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So it, it got them in trouble. Amen. And a lot of times when you discern a spirit and you speak to it or you cast it out, it's going to cause you some trouble. But we still got to speak the truth, right? So that's basically what it, it gives you a glimpse into the spiritual realm, gives you an idea of the spirit that's operating and the motivation of that spirit and how it's creating the circumstances or uh, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And then there's the gift of different kinds of tongues. This is not our prayer language. This is a public tongue. This is a tongue that's used in a church service. Uh, and there's a difference between the gift of tongues and our prayer language that we received when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now this is uh, like prayer language. If I started speaking in tongues right now, you wouldn't understand what I was saying, but if I was praying to God, he would understand what I'm saying because I'm praying for my spirit. 
Uh, he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I pray like this every morning. I pray in my understanding. In other words, I pray what I know needs to be prayed. And then I pray in my spiritual language or tongues because I'm praying out mysteries, not to God, but they're mysteries to me because I'm not sure what to pray. And Paul called it an infirmity in Romans 8, 26, I believe it is. He says, for we know not how to, and this is our infirmity, for we know not how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered. And, and in the Greek, that means uh, in groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. In other words, nobody can understand it. It's, it's a prayer language. It's the Spirit praying through my spirit. But it's praying out mysteries and it's praying out the perfect will of God for whatever the situation is you're praying for. This happened to Pastor Ed more than it does me. She's a little bit more spiritual than me. But the spirit would wake her up in the middle of the night and she would have an urge to pray. But she don't know what to pray or who she's praying for. What do you do in a situation like that? You've got this burden to pray. You have to pray. You know that much. The Spirit's prompting you to pray, but you don't know who you're praying for or what to pray. You might be praying for somebody in the next room. She might be praying for me. She might be praying for somebody on the other side of the world. She don't know. So what do you, how do you pray? You pray in your spiritual language. You pray in tongues. And you pray out the perfect will of God for that situation. Uh, you, you're praying mysteries because it's a mystery to you who you're praying for and what you're praying for. But by faith, you begin to pray in your in your heavenly language, your spiritual language. You begin to pray in tongues, and you don't stop until you feel peace or you feel a release. And the burden lifts, and you no longer have that desire to pray. That's called praying through. And she did that many times while I was sleeping through and she would tell me about these situations and sometimes you would find out later what she prayed for and sometimes you didn't we might get to heaven before we find that out but I'm telling you tongues is so valuable because you know uh, I was denominational for 38 years and I prayed religiously all the time I had my whole set of prayers that I prayed I had, I even hate to say the word rosary, but I had a rosary, and I would pray that rosary. Each bead was a certain prayer, Hail Mary and Our Father and Act of Contrition or whatever, and you'd go through the beads and you'd pray the rosary. And I did that for years. I, I always prayed. My wife always prayed. I never felt satisfaction. I never felt like I accomplished something until I was filled with the Spirit and began to pray in my heavenly language, began to pray in uh, tongues, in, a, in my prayer language, if you will. And uh, that's like every morning I pray with my understanding, I go as far as I can, then I pray in tongues, and then maybe the Lord will give me something in my mind or my understanding, and I'll pray again in my understanding, and when I run out uh, of understanding, I go back into tongues, and I go back and forth like that for a half hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. 
And then there's other times I just go through the word and I will pray the word, you know, like Ephesians 1.17. You know, uh, uh, I pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you. And I pray that whole prayer and I get to the end of it and I start praying in tongues again. And he may take me to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. There's another good prayer there. Then he might take me to Col Colossians chapter 4. And there's another good prayer there. And in the meantime, I'm praying in tongues as I'm going through these scriptures. And I pray the word. There's all kinds of ways that you can pray. But I never felt satisfied until I, until I was filled with the Spirit and started praying in tongues. Because once I ran out of my understanding, I'm like, is that it? Am I done? Uh, but then I began to pray in tongues until I got that release and I felt like I don't know what it was, but I accomplished it. I prayed through. So, I mean, it's important to me. It's important to the church. And uh, so Paul says, and here, here's the part I want you to get. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no, no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And then he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. You know, uh, uh, Again, edify means to build up. So he who prays in a tongue builds himself up. It's like charging a battery or something. And Jude says that uh, praying in the, in the Holy Ghost, uh, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So it builds your faith up praying in tongues. And so that's what Paul is saying here. It edifies me, but it don't help you. And then he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Here's what I want you to get. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So if I pray, or if I, if I operate in the gift of prophecy, the church gets edified. It gets exhorted. It gets built up. It gets comforted. But if I pray in tongues, it edifies me. Unless... I interpret it, and then it edifies you, it exhorts you, it comforts you, builds you up, which means that tongues and interpretation is equal to prophecy. Yes. But if I pray in the tongue and nobody interprets, it doesn't have to be me to interpret, but Paul says when you pray in tongues, pray for the interpretation as well. Uh, but I could pray in tongues and Miss Shannon can interpret it. And as long as the church gets edified, who cares who interprets it? It's equal to prophecy because it does it. It accomplishes the same goal. And so uh, maybe see everything that we do in, in in the gifts of the spirit is in proportion to your faith. It takes more faith to prophesy than it does to speak in a tongue. Because when you speak in a tongue. 90%, 99% of the time, somebody else is going to interpret that for you. But when you put them both together, it's prophecy. But you might not be able to prophesy because you don't have that level of faith to just prophesy the whole message right out. And so 
Uh, there's a difference between the tongues and interpretation and prophecy, because prophecy just comes right out. Tongues has to have the interpretation, but they equal the same thing. Praise the Lord. I thought we were going to get down earlier tonight, but Anyway, in verse 13 says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray also with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. That's, that's for people like me that forget words. <laughs> I sing with my understanding, forget the words, and I sing in tongues. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? You can't say amen unless you understood what was said. At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul said that. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Nothing wrong with speaking in tongues in the church as long as it's interpreted. And that's why Paul teaches us uh, that if it's not interpreted, no more tongues in that service. The spirit of interpretation isn't in operation. So he says, no more tongues. Why? Because you didn't edify nobody. You confused people. How are they going to say amen if they don't know what you said? How are they going to agree or disagree with you if they don't know what you said? Amen. The interpretation of tongues. It's understanding and expressing the thought or the intent of the message that was spoken in tongues. It is not the translation. It is an interpretation. Someone gives a message in tongues and through the gift of interpretation, you can understand by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost what was said. Not verbatim, not word for word, but a, an idea or an intent of what God wanted to speak, the mind of God wanted to speak. So it's the interpretation of what was said in tongues, not the translation of what was said. A person, it's a person who understands and comprehends the intent of the tongues, not necessarily a word-for-word -word, uh, translation. He's not interpreting or she's not interpreting what was said. Uh, they're trying to interpret in their own words what they feel the Spirit spoke to them coming from the mind of God. Because that's what tongues and interpretation is. That's what prophecy is. It's something that comes from the mind of God and it's given to the people. Real quick, I just want to give you a couple things here. Acts 2, 1 through 4. Now, we have to understand all the gifts of the Spirit, with the exception of tongues and interpretation, operate in the Old Testament. You can find them all throughout the Old Testament. Every gift of the Spirit except tongues and interpretation. Then you come over to what we call the New Testament or the Gospels, and we notice that all the gifts of the Spirit operated through Jesus except for tongues and interpretation. They didn't operate through Jesus. Tongues and interpretation uh, was for the dispensation of the church. It was for the church age. Uh, the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, and that's when they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's when tongues came to the earth, when the church was birthed. That's why I know it's for the church age. It's for this dispensation. And uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, Charity or love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail or come to an end. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And this is what a lot of the scholars use this scripture here. See, I told you tongues has ceased. Prophecy has been done away with. Well, then uh, I guess knowledge vanished away too, at least from them. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, Jesus, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then Paul says, for now we see through a glass darkly. We see through it, but we're seeing darkly. We're not seeing everything that we should see. But then face to face, in other words, we see through a glass darkly now, but then face to face, that's when it changes. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. When Jesus returns and we see him face to face, there'll be no more need for tongues and interpretation or prophecy because the very revelation of God will be standing in front of us. He'll be here with us. But we need it during the church age. We need prophecy, we need tongues, we need interpretation because it's the mind of God speaking to us and there's things that he wants us to hear. Well, he could just speak to my spirit. No, you're not always in tune. There's a lot of things you miss. Should we make a list? No, uh, he wants to speak his mind through the gifts of the spirit. He wants them uh, done in a way that they always edify, exhort, and comfort. He wants them done in a way that it always brings order. It always builds up the church. And uh, we can't do it like that ourselves. It has to be done through the Holy Ghost. That's why it's as He wills. Amen? Amen. I'm quitting right here at 2 minutes to 8. No, I'm sorry, it's 8.02. The clock is wrong. Matthew, fix that clock. <laughs> Love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you. And remember, Jesus is Lord.